Is there a recession looming and what can we do about it? What's going on with gold? Can Congress solve this debt ceiling problem? And what's going on with this guy in San Diego? More at 11. Is it 11 already? Shoot. Hey everybody, my name's AJ and this is The Wealthy Idiot Show. Before we begin, please make sure to like and subscribe. All we ask is just a quick like and subscribe and in exchange, we'll provide you with financial literacy that will rival all of your buddies. Let's get into the news. At PR Newswire, survey, Americans fear we're heading for a 2008 recession or worse. Americans' concerns about the economy have escalated over the past several months, accumulating in, into fears of future recession. According to Nationwide's 2023 Economic Impact Survey, more than two-thirds of Americans, 68%, expect a recession within the next six months, and nearly 80% of those expect it to be severe. For those of you doing the math, that's over half of the people surveyed expect a severe recession coming within the next six months. About two-thirds of respondents believe a recession will be severe, will be as severe or worse than the 2007-2009 Great Recession. So at this point, it looks like most people think a recession is coming. We've been saying for a long time here on this channel that we think that one is going to come. We printed off epic tons of money during the pandemic. As a country, we restricted the economy down, so we had a lot of cash, not very much supply, which caused inflation to go crazy. And that would cause economic problems into itself, except for that in order to keep the economy from falling, the government kept printing and handing out money to help people. In fact, Gavin Newsom was saying they're going to hand out inflation relief checks, as if that makes any sense at all. And we've also played clips of the Federal Reserve talking about how they intend to cause a recession. So while Congress is printing money to try and stop one, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to kind of create one. And their ultimate goal is to cause a system that kind of levels out. And hopefully we can do that in a way where we just don't crash. Like maybe it's a slow decline and then we can kind of come back up and we'll see what happens. Further information is showing us uh, from PR Newswire as well, 40% of insured drivers in the U.S. are stressed out about affording their car insurance. So combined with the fact that most people now think a recession is coming, a huge number of people, almost 50%, I mean 40% is pretty significant, are scared they may not be able to pay for their car insurance. And that's going to be tremendously damaging to these people if a recession does come. So what can we do about it? Well, we've been talking on this channel on what we can do, and it all started with the TikTok videos about quiet quitting. Now isn't the time for that. It's real easy to be privileged and expect a lot of stuff when the economy is working well and you can make demands because people are looking for employees. But when this whole thing switches around and companies lay people off, we saw huge layoffs with the tech companies, you're going to want to be the one who keeps their job. And secondarily, you want to be the one who is investing over this recession. So keeping your job and then investing is going to put you in a good position when we come out of this. Your investments are going to take off. And that same principle works with your job as well. If companies start to expand, the people who are great that stuck around during the recession that showed their values are going to be the ones who start getting promoted. During this recession is not the time to start quiet quitting. It's the time to buckle down, work harder, show you're the one who the company needs to keep so that you can come out the other side wealthy. Our next article by PR Newswire as well is gold mining industry booms as investors seek safe haven amid market volatility. So this is just another sign that investors are starting to agree with what most people are saying inside of that original poll that we're going to see a tremendous recession. 
and people start looking at gold. In this case, it's gold mining. So you can buy bonds or investments, stocks into gold mining endeavors, people actually mining for gold, because that's another way to get gold. You don't necessarily have to buy it. You can mine for it. In fact, I actually own a gold mining bond or part of a gold mining bond. I own a piece of a bond for a gold mine. I don't know what the language is around that. but um, And when I brought that to my family as an idea as to what we could do, my wife thought I was being scammed like the whole Nigerian prince scam. And I was like, no, no, this is legit. We're not just sending our money off to you know somebody overseas pretending to be somebody else. We're actually investing in a gold mine and we're receiving pretty good returns as a result. In fact, I am not supported by these guys at all. And I am not recommending that you go to them outright. But I will tell you that I use this company. I think this company is really good and they are really, they have a really interesting way of handling gold. So one of the biggest problems with gold is that if you buy it, you have to put it somewhere so you can store it in your house, but that, you know, creates risk. If you leave your home and someone breaks in and robs you, there's nothing you can really do about it. But if you put your gold inside of a company, they're going to charge you to store it. So as you're buying gold in an attempt to try and, you know, stave off this recession to try and balance your portfolio, whatever the case may be, you're losing value because you have to pay these companies to do these things. Well, the company that I use, and again, not recommending, just telling you what I use, you need to do your own research to make sure that these are good ideas, is a company called Monetary Metals. And what they do is they buy gold and lend it out to people who use gold, such as jewelry makers. So I really like this idea because I get to own the gold and I receive interest payments because my gold is being lent out. So I don't have to pay for actual storage and I get the gold and I get the appreciation on the gold and I get the interest payment. So I'm, I'm super stoked about this whole plan. Um, it's the company that I went through. I use a very small amount of my portfolio on gold and even a smaller amount in this particular company. Use that information as you wish. I'm not getting paid by them. I just think it's a really cool product that they offer and I'm involved in it myself. So what's going on with the debt ceiling stuff? So we still haven't hit a resolution around the debt ceiling. If you remember last week, Janet Yellen was saying we might have to do some extreme measures when we hit the beginning of June because that's when our debts are going to be due. So people in Congress are demanding the president use the 14th Amendment of the Constitution in order to try and solve this debt ceiling problem. I think this is a terrible idea and I don't think that it works. And there's like experts in the news trying to explain how this would work. And I think it's terrible logic and the arguments are just straight garbage. If it was that easy, we wouldn't have shut the government down in the past when we had debt ceiling disagreements. The, the, the president could have just stepped in and been like 14th Amendment and raised the debt ceiling on their own. Or why even have a debt ceiling debate at all if the president can just be like, increase the debt ceiling, increase the debt ceiling. So to say that the 14th Amendment gives the president the power to do that is kind of nuts. Secondarily, the Constitution gives the authority of the budgeting to Congress, not to the president. So there's other parts of the Constitution that say that this wouldn't work either. But one of our best friends, Elizabeth Warren, our, our favorite senator, Elizabeth Warren, says the Republicans are holding our economy hostage, you know, as if it doesn't take two groups to not be able to communicate with each other. It's like each party does this, right? The Republicans are like, they don't agree with us, so it's their fault. And the Democrats are like, they don't agree with us, so it's their fault. Like, like, but people buy it. People eat that stuff up, so. And pushing cuts will throw nearly 800,000 Americans out of work. I'm assuming she means government jobs, which I gotta be honest, like, I don't care. President Biden should be prepared to exercise his authority under the 14th Amendment so the U.S. can continue to pay its bills. I mean, 
All right. So let's look at the language of the 14th Amendment real quick. It says the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. If that sounds interesting, it's because the 14th Amendment was the amendment that freed the slaves after the Civil War. And what it's saying here is that any debt used in order to fight that war, to um, free the slaves, in order to push down the rebellion, that's the insurrection and rebellion part, um, is actual debt in the United States. Like the United States can't be like, hey, you know, we don't want to deal with that debt. You have to accept that that debt is now a part of the United States, um, which most people I think do. That's just a clarifying statement. It's like a beginning statement to say, like, of course, we, you know, the United States will pay its debts. The problem is there was a lot of debate over the debts created by the Confederacy. And should the United States pay the debts of the Confederacy? which wouldn't make sense. The problem is those states are now incorporated back into the United States. And so let's say the Confederacy had a debt with France. Then France comes around and says, hey, United States, we had a debt with those states. We want that money back. So the second statement as a part of this says, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligations incurred in aid of the insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. So basically telling the world here, hey, if you made deals with the Confederacy, too dang bad, you shouldn't have done that, right? That's, that's what this entire section of the 14th Amendment is saying. So in there, do you see the part where the president of the United States gets to magically make our debt ceiling go higher? Of course not. It's not there. The argument is that that first part says that, you know, our debts shall not be questioned. Therefore, the president should be able to raise the debt ceiling. And there's people with college degrees on TV making that argument as if it makes any sense. It's stupid. So anyways, we haven't solved this problem yet. Congress hasn't made an agreement and uh, we'll report on it when they do. So lastly, what happened to our San Diego buddy and what is he up to? So San Diego man visits 193 countries in the world. All 193 countries in the world. Excuse me. So somebody actually visited all the countries. I think that's super cool. I don't know how he did it, how long it took him. Let's see. Looks like it took him about a decade. Um, he says Turkmenistan was the last one and is one of the most mysterious countries on the planet. And it's one of the most restricted when it comes to visitors. So the only way you can visit Turkmenistan is through an approved tour company. That was actually my first thought when I saw this article was what about these countries that are like at war or have tough restrictions? What did he do? And I guess he found ways around all of it and was able to visit all the countries around the world. I think that's pretty cool. So good job, man. All right, that concludes the news segment for this week. There'll be more stuff next week, so make sure to stop by and tune in. So let's get into our React of the Week. I got another Dave Ramsey video for you guys. Um, let's go check it out and uh, see what he has to say. Jerry writes, My wife and I are debt-free besides our mortgage, and I'm having a tough time combating a family member who happens to work in wealth management. Oh, jeez. This family member believes that using credit cards and paying them off is a great tool to build credit. This family also believes that using a credit family member also believes that using a credit card is better than cash because of the rewards different cards give you, miles, cashback, etc. With this member working in finance, they are more informative than I am when it comes to managing money, but after listening to you for so long, I can't wrap my head around what they're saying as the best option to build wealth. What's the best way to have a discussion with this family member that I can stop feeling pressured? 
All right, that's an interesting question. So I personally have credit cards and we use them in our family and we do get the points. But there's been no point in my life where I've been like, everybody in my family has to have a credit card. It's not the thing I try to like push. In fact, on this channel, I'm not sure we have anything talking about credit cards. Like, yeah, you could build credit with them, but like why, if you're a financial expert, financial industry, whatever, why would you be pushing a credit card onto people as the thing? Like most people aren't saving money. Most people aren't investing. Those are the first two steps. Like save money, invest. Also, pay off all your high interest rate debt. I mean, that's basically where you start as any kind of financial person. So if I'm talking to anybody and they're like, where do I get going? That's what I push. Never be pushing credit cards. That's just kind of weird. I love you and I don't agree with you. And we're not going to be able to be around each other if you don't shut up. How's that? (laughs) Or, or... Hey, man, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm just not into using credit cards. And I know there, there's, I've heard there's some great things, but I'm just not into using them. But I appreciate it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You don't get a vote. Yeah. Don't get a vote. He, he's just a dupe. He happens to be in your family, but he's a dupe. Yeah, I think that that's right. Like, you know, at some point, you just got to be like, all right, dude, like, we don't agree. You can do your thing. I'll do my thing. Let's just be friends and talk about things that we like. It's a little bit weird that like this is like a constant push for a credit card. Like why a credit card? It's just very bizarre. Let's look at um, his family member. Using credit cards and paying them off is a way you build credit. If you care about credit, then that's a thing. And if you think that credit is going to cause you to build wealth, which is an interesting dichotomy because most millionaires don't believe that. Correct. Now, little dude in the wealth management business believes that, but he's 26 and has an MBA. So he's correct. I'm just opting out of that system. Can if you, you want to build credit, yeah, but building credit is not a method to build wealth. No, it's a waste of, yeah, it's to a build, fun way. Unless to, you're wanting to build wealth for the bank. It's, it's, a, it's a fun way to run around in a circle and make other people rich. Eh, kind of disagree with that one a little bit. So we've talked on this channel before about something called positive arbitrage, and that's where you like if you take your money, let's, let's use a car example. If you're going to buy a car, let's say you have 10 grand to buy a car and you take that 10 grand, you buy the car. Great. That's what Dave would tell you to do. You could also take that 10 grand and put it into an investment that's producing like 10% a year, like the S and P 500 on average, historical data shows above 10% a year. And then you go buy the car on With a car loan, let's say your car loan is like 5%. Well, your money would grow at a rate of 5% because you have 10% and then it's costing you 5%. The difference is 5%, right? So that's called positive arbitrage. If you want to get a good interest rate on any of that debt that you're going to be using for investing or finding interesting ways to try and do any of that stuff, you're going to want a credit score and you're going to want your credit score to be good. So yes, you can use credit scores to build wealth to some degree. Um, same thing for real estate investing. If you, if you're going to take out debt to buy real estate, yeah, your credit score matters because you get a better interest rate, which means your profit is better. You pay less to the bank. Ultimately, you don't have to actually pay the bank interest to make that happen, right? I have a credit card. I don't pay interest. I pay it off at the end of every pay cycle. Or end of the statement cycle. So yeah, I don't think that that all adds up here. Um, can you can you get rewards from using credit cards? Yes, 
I have chosen in my house with my family to opt out of a system because my flights are not free. The person who pays for my flights is a single mom who can't make her payments, who somebody said, if you use this little plastic card, it'll get you till next week. And she's buying my flights, and I refuse to let the people in the margins pay for crap my family's doing. I'm, not, I'm opting out of that system. I think this is one of John's weaker arguments on this one. He's made this before. He's like, you know, somebody is paying out the credit card at an extremely high interest rate, like this single mom who's got to buy groceries and she's like paying 21%. Those are the people paying your points. Well, kind of, but like John not using a credit card doesn't suddenly make that lady's life any better. It's not, you know, costing her less interest rate. All you're doing is that Visa now just keeps more money. So... Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see that the same way. If points are available to me, I'm taking the points because I don't want Visa to keep that money. I'll take it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that argument works. The number of millionaires in the largest study of millionaires ever done that said they made their money on cashback rewards and airline miles is precisely zero. Zero, none. None of them. No millionaire ever said I became wealthy with airline miles. And That's the, just dumber and crud. But it's 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 different. Day. I mean, it's not different. It's it, people think they're they're beating the system. Mm, I mean, I I, mean, I don't think any millionaire has ever said like I got rich because of airline miles or points. But then that argument could be for anything. Like you know, you shouldn't eat shrimp because no rich person has ever said they made it rich eating shrimp. And like, okay, well, that doesn't really calculate to the same thing right like if, if you can get rewards from using a credit card and you're a credit card person meaning you don't carry a balance you don't pay interest i don't see a problem with using it i'm not going to push it on anybody i don't see a problem with you using it if you have a hard time with that like you look at the balance that you have left on a credit card and you think that that's like cash that you get to go spend you're not a credit card person don't worry about the points you're probably paying more in interest than you will ever get in points I would recommend people cut up their credit cards at that point, right? But you should know which one you are. Do you have like a real honest look into your soul and decide like, can I handle this? And if the answer is I don't know or no, no credit cards for you. If your answer is like, you know what? Yeah, like I can handle that. All right, credit cards, right? It's not going to make you rich, but like, like why, why not? I guess at that point. And then, yeah, I could build credit, and that credit that I built does go to some of these investments that I do and these strategies that I use. So that does work for me. Um, it's not something I would push on anyone, like I said earlier, but it works for me. And, you know, you could take that information and use it however you want. The first time I had this, I had a guy that was a car dealer that was a Christian, and he called up and uh, called up a friend of mine that was, we had a mutual friend, a pastor. And the pastor said, Hey, so and so wants to meet with you because he believes you know, as brothers in Christ, that you all have an honest disagreement. He wants to have a discussion with you about it. Well, he's a car dealer, and he sells car leases. And I said, well, yeah, I'll be happy to meet with him, but the net result of the conversation when we're done is he's going to go back to the office and lease cars, and I'm going to turn on a microphone and say, if you lease cars, you're stupid, and we both love Jesus. And But I'm not, not, not going to talk him into not leasing cars. And he's not going to present any information as much as I know about the subject that's going to make me suddenly believe leasing cars is a good idea. Uh, I mean, yeah. So Dave's point there where he's like, yeah, we can't talk to each other and come away with an agreement. I think that's absolutely true. I don't think there's anything morally wrong with leasing cars to people. There are some people 
that makes financial sense for and giving them that option it is not you know is not bad now if you're lying to people to get them to lease a car you're telling them you know false truths you're you know whitewashing what you're saying you're withholding information to try. that's the immoral part right but the actual lease on a car itself is just a thing like i i don't think that there's an immoral or moral position on that um but you know in some cases i do think there is so like whole life for example we talk about that a lot on this channel it does what the people say it does i don't think that you need it in your portfolio but it does do what it says that they they say that it does Right. And so there, I don't think there's anything immoral selling it. I think that they misunderstand what it is that they're selling, um, which is, you know, a different thing altogether. But, you know, I don't think there's anything immoral necessarily in that. Now, with IUL and the way that like Doug Andrew, for example, positions IUL, I think that's highly immoral. And I've asked the question, like, do you think he's he knows that he's being highly immoral or do you think he actually believes this stuff? Because there's something like I like to call the moral sunk cost fallacy. So sunk cost fallacy is when you put so much money into something that is failing that you're like, well, I put so much money into this that I can't you know, leave it now. I have to keep going. And that causes you know people to lose tons and tons of money. That's sunk cost. Moral sunk cost fallacy is like you believe this thing to be true so much that you sell the thing to people or, you know, it. You know, in his case, in Doug Andrews' case, he's selling something to people. In some cases, like politicians, they'll sell an idea to people and they'll be like, this is so true. It's hard to back off from that when, you, when you're presented with other information that suggests that it may not be true. Because if it turns out you've been wrong the entire time, you may have been causing severe amounts of damage. And I'm not sure people's psyche can handle the realization that maybe they've been immoral or causing problems that entire time. Right. So like, let's say if Doug Andrew actually believes that what he's selling is good and he's selling IUL and someone presents information as like, hey, this IUL or index universal life, just in case you didn't know, um, this index universal life is causing damage to all these people. He has two choices. He could either be like, wow, I've really hurt a lot of people. Or he could ignore that and be like, I don't believe that that's true, because if I do believe that that's true, then it means that I that my psyche has to handle the fact that I hurt all these people. Right. So moral sunk cost fallacy. I think that's what happens there. You know, it's like my cousin's a mine's not, but I have had that. There's a question over there is my cousin's a whole life agent and he sold me the whole life policy. Well, you're not going to talk your cousin into the idea that whole life is sucks. It does suck. It's a horrible product, but you're not going to talk a whole life agent into that fact because he'd have to quit his job if he had integrity. And so that this is a big conversation. You're not going to talk them out of it, but you can just explain to them. I'm no longer owning the policy because that's my territory. I get to make decisions inside that fence and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to play anymore. Uh, that's the end of the video. So yeah, exactly. Like I was saying, it's going to be hard to convince someone that's selling a product that they believe in that even if they're presented with the data to suggest that it's not a good idea for them to actually believe it. You know, the salesman won't believe what it is that you're telling them because admitting that fault means that they've done damage to people. They're never going to do that. And so like, I can't convince, you know, Doug Andrew to stop selling index universal life. He's made millions of dollars doing this. Why would he stop? And if he can convince himself that this is the right way to go, then he feels moral and he's making it rich. And that's going to be, 
something that's impossible to overcome in a conversation. I'm not going to be able to convince him, even with all the data in the world, I won't be able to convince him that he's wrong. So same thing for this. Like, you know, someone with a credit card comes to you and is like, dude, this is the thing, which seems weird to me. Like I have them and I wouldn't be pushing that like that. Um, you're not going to convince that person that they're wrong. The best that you could do is exactly like what Dave said here is have a conversation with them where you're like, look, like I hear you, you make good points. I'm not going to do it. Can we go ahead and move on to a different topic? Because, you know, this isn't helping our relationship any. I think that's the best you can do. Thank you so much for stopping by. Make sure you hit wealthidiots.com and uh, I'll see you guys next time.